MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, June 1st, 2021. Today, a 13-count superseding indictment is filed against the Oath Keepers in the insurrection investigation. Michael Flint calls for a Myanmar-style violent coup in the United States. Texas Democrats block a restrictive voting bill by walking off the floor. U.S. lawmakers are now pushing for a House Select Committee on the insurrection. And Democrats plot a backdoor for Medicaid expansion in red states that have blocked the program. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello, everyone. Welcome back from the weekend. Oh, I hope it was a good one. AJ actually got on my road bike, my bicycle for the first time in months. Last time I went out, I got a flat tire. So I was like, I am hesitant to go out again. And I did. And it was felt great. It was God, I'm out of riding shape, but it still felt great. You had a good weekend in Arizona. Yeah, I went to visit my madre and I only sort of worked a little bit over the weekend. It was it was quite nice. I did manage to get an episode of Muller She Wrote out on Sunday and you know, I did a couple of interviews for the Beans over the weekend that are going to be coming out shortly. And of course, I think everyone got the Adam Klasfeld interview today. And later on today, I'm going to be talking to Ellie Honig about this 13 count superseding indictment and what it means and what I think is missing, oddly, from this indictment. We'll, we'll go go into that about the Oath Keepers. But I was able to to mostly relax this weekend and it was very, very nice, very welcome uh, respite and got to see my mom and I stayed at the JW Camelback Inn. Lovely. It was beautiful. Yeah, it's lovely. It was just beautiful. And I want to thank everybody for coming to our network launch happy hour. Dana, thanks for coming too. Sure. Good times. We have such a good crew. You have such a good crew. The lineup of podcasts is fantastic. Everyone that came was wonderful. I mean, it was just, it was good. It was good stuff. It was super fun. Frank yeah. Fuglusi has the best eyebrows in radio. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that much of a compliment that is. You have the best blank for radio. Yep. It's it's always kind of like a, but yeah, he's certainly on fleek. You know, everybody check out mswmedia.com. You can see all of our shows. We've got the Greg Oliar show, Prevail, the Bureau, which debuted this week. Um, and the second episode is going to be a stunner too. I mean, they're all just incredible. Glenn Kirshner's Justice Matters is is part of our network. We got Renato Mariotti's On Topic, Opening Arguments with Andrew Torres, of course, and then The Beans and Muller, she wrote the MSW Book Club, which is the Mary Trump Book Club first episode debuted this weekend uh, that you and I recorded, Dana. So fun. And uh, of course, Muller, she wrote. And I've had a lot of input about Muller, she wrote. They're like, you talk too fast and there's no one to slow you down. You need a co-host. So I'm working <laughs> on that. <laughs> Want everybody to know I'm working on that. In the meantime, listen to it at half speed. I sound like the drunk at the end of the bar shouting politics at you, but it, it you know, you'll get the you'll get the information at a slower clip. All right. We do have a lot of news to get to. Why don't we do that? Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Dana, there are so many contenders for the lead story today, but in my mind, the winner has to be Texas Democrats. hundred percent. This story when I got that alert on my phone, I was like, yes, this is what needs to be done in every state. And in, in the, you know, oh, yeah, like in the, the Congress. national level. Yeah. And I was like, damn it. Fuck yes. So from the Washington Post this morning, Texas Democrats staged a dramatic walkout in the state house late Sunday night to block passage of a restrictive voting bill that would have been one of the most stringent in the nation, forcing Republicans to abruptly adjourn without being able to take a vote on the measure. Uh, We've talked about what's in this measure before, but mainly it would give judges the ability to overturn the will of the people without any, you know, real reason. The surprise move came after an impassioned late night debate and procedural objections about the GOP backed legislation, which would have made it harder to vote by mail. It would have empowered partisan poll watchers and made it easier to overturn the election results. Republicans faced a midnight deadline to approve this measure. Greg Abbott, Dickwad tweeted that he would add the bill to a special session he plans to call later this year now to address legislative redistricting. Quote, legislators will be expected to have worked out the details when they arrive at the Capitol for this special session, he wrote. But it was an unmistakable defeat for the governor and fellow Republicans who had crafted one of the most far reaching voter suppression bills in the country, pushing restrictions championed by the former guy uh, and his big lie, you know, that there was some sort of election fraud for, you know, against him. If there was any uh, election interference and, and fraud, it was 
for him. So sure. All the other states he won, those were totally fine. No election fraud there. People do not be concerned. Yeah. And of course, the red counties in the states also okay. that he's angry also about. Also okay. Totally fine. It just happens to be where, gosh, all the black people live. Now, the exodus from the floor came after Chris Turner, the House Democratic chairman, sent instructions to colleagues at 1035 p.m. Central Time, telling them to exit the House. And that's according to an image shared with The Washington Post. Members, take your key and leave the chamber discreetly. Discreetly. <laughs> like everybody getting up and walking out at the same time. Mm. Is a... So he was referring to the key that locks the voting mechanism on their desks, by the way. He says, do not go to the gallery. Leave the building. Quote, we decided to come together and say we aren't going to take it. That's state rep Jessica Gonzalez. She said in an interview uh, after the walkout, adding that she objected to the measure's content and the way it was crafted with no input from her side of the aisle. Quote, we needed to be a part of the process. Cutting us out is completely I mean, this law will affect every single voter in Texas. Republican majority House took up the legislation after the Senate passed it Sunday following a marathon overnight debate that stretched more than seven hours. The measure mirrors other GOP backed legislation approved in Georgia, Florida, et cetera. We know about it. In a statement, Turner said that dozens of House Democrats were prepared to give speeches objecting, but that, quote, it became obvious Republicans were going to cut off debate and ram through their voter suppression legislation. At that point, we had no choice but to take extraordinary measures to protect our constituents and their right to vote. After the walkout, Democrats assembled at a predominantly black church in Austin, Mount Zion Fellowship Hall, to speak to reporters. Staff members said leaders chose the location to highlight the party's successful fight against a bill they said would have targeted voters of color. The effort is uh, not entirely dead. However, uh, I have to give this caveat here. Greg Abbott, who I said, indicated he will call a special session of the legislature, which could start as early as June 1st or Tuesday to restart the process. That's today. The governor has said that he strongly supports the election bill. And in a statement, he called the failure to reach one deeply disappointing. It's deeply disappointing for him to not be able to suppress black voters. He, he He's widely expected to sign whatever measure the Republicans pass. I'm sure he does support this voter suppression bill because he is in grave danger of losing his seat to Beto if he runs. I mean, so let's be honest. This is why he wants this through. Uh, Now, Democratic lawmakers are rallying around an effort to extend health insurance in states that have refused to expand Medicaid, believing they have a limited window to help millions who have been unable to get coverage because of intractable GOP opposition to the Obamacare program. So Democrats had hoped that Biden, that his election, along with the promise of new federal cash from the recent COVID relief package for states to expand Medicaid, would move at least some of the dozen remaining holdout states. But there's little indication those states are budging, which is energizing a push among Democratic lawmakers for a new federal program guaranteeing coverage for low-income adults long shut out by the uh, Medicaid expansion. Expanding coverage to the estimated 2.2 million people lacking affordable health insurance options in the Medicaid expansion holdout states would fulfill a Biden campaign pledge, while his other key health care promises, like government drug price negotiations and a public option, face tough odds in Congress. Democrats also believe it would deliver a major win for their party heading into a tightly contested midterm elections next year, given that Medicaid expansion has pulled very well, including in states where Republican leaders have blocked it for years. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that has to be the only reason that I mean, other than just being assholes, that the Republicans are desperate not to give their constituents access to this health care, because once they have it, they aren't going to want to give it up. You know, I mean, exactly. We saw people who loved the Affordable Care Act, but hated Obamacare, mm-hmm. you know, keep your government hands off my Medicare, and et cetera, et cetera. So he, they're desperate to not give these folks health care or access to health care, because once they have it, I want to give it up. So but AG, the new effort actually carries risks that Democratic lawmakers, White House officials and health care advocates have been struggling to resolve in behind the scenes discussions over the past few months. Now, that's according to people involved with those talks. One challenge is designing a program that won't invite backlash from a healthcare industry ready to battle Democrats on other sweeping changes. Now, another concern is inadvertently rewarding states that blocked Medicaid expansion for years. Any plan would also come with a steep price tag. So healthcare advocates caution that Democrats have limited time to address stalled progress on Medicaid expansion, seen as the biggest unfinished piece of the Affordable Care Act 
while the party controls Washington for the first time since the law's passage a decade ago. So this is going to be an ongoing fight for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it is the biggest unfinished piece of the ACA. And, you know, it's going to come with a steep price tag, but it's going to save trillions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Even just to have a, a national federal public option would save it would cut costs of healthcare. It would force private insurance companies to compete. We would be cutting out the administrative middleman, you know, for third party fiduciary firms that private healthcare and insurance companies have to hire to run their claims for them. It costs an extra $14 per visit, which just adds up to billions of dollars. We wouldn't have to cover taxpayers wouldn't have to cover emergency room visits as much. It would slash prices and cut so much cost. It would be so much savings. Yeah. And the tax revenue generate. I mean, it's just a no brainer to me, but what do I know? I only have a doctorate in it. Okay. <laughs> Next up from Raw Stories, Ray Hartman. He revealed some of the specifics of retired Lieutenant General Flynn's shocking speech from the QAnon conference in Dallas, where he proclaimed that he wasn't a conspiracy theorist, but also that Donald Trump is the president still. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but as videos are re- revealed, you know, there's videos coming out of this shit. Flynn was also captured calling for a military coup in the United States to install Donald Trump. Let's listen to that clip. I want to know why what happened in Minamar can't happen here. No reason. I mean, it should happen here. No reason. That's right. I'm sorry, Minamar? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and say by Minamar, he meant Myanmar. But what do I know? I'm not a general. Uh Anyway, it's just absolutely stunning. It's Memorial Day weekend. He's a former army general, General Flynn. To say these things, yeah, to over to want to overthrow the government of the United States on Memorial Day weekend. Not to mention the damage his brother has done to this country with January 6th. Yeah, absolutely. He was on that phone call when they were trying to get the uh, National Guard deployed. Uh, Pelosi and Schumer and the uh, Capitol Police Chief, everybody's son, everyone's trying to get the fucking National Guard out. And General Flynn's in the room. And and the army denied his presence in the room for a long time, which is weird. Like, why would you deny that? First of all, we're going to find out right. you're the fucking army. It's just so odd. And, you know, General Flynn had, was, remember, uh, Judge Emmett Sullivan was like, did you guys think about charging him with treason? Because... This seems treasony. This smells treasony. Yeah, which he won't be covered for. You've disgraced this flag, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this is astonishing and not shocking. Don't sit there and go, how can you, if this is astonishing to you, you haven't been paying attention. Wake up, sheeple. Uh, I don't need that lecture. <laughs> I, it's astonishing, not surprising. Right. But I personally think that Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin should reinstate the man, court-martial him dishonorably discharge him. I don't think the taxpayer should be having to pay for his benefits and his pension and his retirement and his health care. I, I don't think he deserves that. I think he's a traitor, literally 100%. like old school fucking traitor. And he's not covered by this, you know, the, the pardon uh, with all this stuff with the insurrection. And, and speaking of that, the House Democrats are actively considering mounting a probe, and they fucking better do this, mounting a probe of their own into January 6th U.S. Capitol attack, signaling they don't plan to let the issue go away in the aftermath of Senate Republicans derailing the creation of an outside commission to probe the deadly insurrection. I'm sorry, how many Benghazi? What, 13? Was there 13? 22. Thank you very much. Now, Speaker Nancy Pelosi has made clear repeatedly that moving to create a select committee has always remained a fallback option, something that would require the support of a majority of the Democratic-led House to create. That's it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You don't need one Republican. Not one Republican vote for that. And a number of Democrats said on Friday that they believe Pelosi will indeed create the new committee and that the caucus would strongly support such an effort. I know my rep, Ted Lieu, has been screaming this from Twitter. In fact, one senior House Democrat actually said on Friday that is the next move. That's going to be Pelosi's next move. Rep Joaquin Castro, a Texas Democrat who we love, who served as an independent manager in former, the former guy's second trial, he was so good, said the Senate should pass a bill creating an outside commission. However, This is a quote. In the event that it fails, the Congress should create a select committee to fully investigate the causes and consequences of the insurrection on January 6th. That's what Castro told CNN. 
If the House creates such a panel, it would give Democrats the power to issue subpoenas and schedule hearings and to drive an investigation into the causes of the attack and Trump's role behind it. It would prompt backlash from Republicans, as we know, who are already trying to paint such an effort as a partisan endeavor, despite their own role in scuttling a bipartisan outside panel composed of 10 commissioners equally divided between the two parties. They had their opportunity. They had their opportunity. They threw it away. Pelosi needs to step up and just do this. Make it happen. They wrote a bill. And, you know, this is going to bite them in the ass because now they've delayed the creation of a select committee. Mm -hmm. If that was going to be the purpose of it all along. Now they've delayed it, pushing the the findings and the, the conclusion of the investigation closer to the 2022 election. They're just fucking dumb. They have no foresight. There's no second or third level thinking. It's just delay as long as possible. And then, oh, wait, shit. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's just well past time to just blow past Republicans. They're the minority party. Elections have consequences. So let's budget reconcile the shit out of infrastructure. Let's kill the fucking filibuster. Get the John Lewis Voting Rights Act passed. Get George Floyd Justice and Policing Act passed. H.R. 1 passed. Do it now. We may lose control of one or both of the houses in 2022. So time could be running out. I think personally, I'd like to remain positive. I think we'll gain seats in 2022. But with the voter suppression bills and the fact that it's a midterm for the incumbent, let's not even chance it. Let's shove a better country down their fucking throats while we have a chance. I'm in. That's the way I feel about it. Totally agree. Because you know what? If the Republicans had control of all three, the White House, the House and the Senate, you know damn well everything would be getting shoved through right now. The filibuster would be gone. All their ridiculous laws would be passed. Yeah. Yeah. That they did it with their tax scam, which is really the only thing they that's the only thing they do for the country is make themselves richer. They don't pass any other bills unless it's to stop people from doing something, particularly voting. All right. We'll be right back with Ellie Honing. We're going to discuss the 13 count superseding indictment just filed against the Oath Keepers. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. And today's episode of The Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. They provide professional, convenient online counseling. It's so important. We all know time to time. Life can be very stressful and overwhelming, and sometimes we make the mistake of thinking we have to face it alone. You do not. If you're dealing with anything preventing you from living your happiest life, I really recommend BetterHelp. BetterHelp provides professional counseling, licensed therapists to help you navigate life's challenges. It's not a crisis line or self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. They assess your needs and match you with a wonderful provider, licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in less than 24 hours. You know I've had my own challenges with post-traumatic stress and anxiety, and I know how important it is to seek help rather than to try to do it by yourself. And I love how convenient BetterHelp services are. They're available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime. There's, they have experts in, every, in all kinds of things that might not be locally available in your area. That's why it's so great. You can send a message to your counselor whenever you want to. You get timely and thoughtful responses and you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. It's so important. It's a very important part of the process. So they make it easy and free to change your counselor if you need to. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aids available. So visit their website and read some testimonials like this one from BetterHelp user RA, who says, after counseling with Dr. Linda Bell for six months on issues concerning depression, stress, anxiety, and more, Dr. Bell is kind, wonderful, and amazing, and not only good at giving advice, but listening and understanding. Her help has been invaluable to me. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And you can join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. Get 10% off your first month. 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We just got a 13-count superseding indictment against the Oath Keepers for conspiracy, among other things. Joining us to discuss this and break it down and what it means and what what I think's missing is Ellie Honig. How are you doing, Ellie? Good. I think we are very much on the same page, AG. Before we dig into it, happy summer. Ah. I feel like, I know it's, I know it's not like technically summer now, but I feel like Memorial Day weekend, it is It is summer as far as I'm concerned. And this will be an awesome summer. Forget about summer 2020. We're making up for it in 2021. Yes, yes. I'm going to be going abroad. I'm going to be traveling. Awesome. I'm going to be here in California, June 15th. I think everything just sort of default opens up. We're yes. going to see how that goes. Great. <laughs> but okay. I am very excited. Sorry, so, yeah, Sorry for the detour. I feel good that it's summer. So, um, so yeah, this indictment is a really interesting document. And, and, I, and I'm of two minds, but I think we agree. On the one hand, it's a strong indictment. This is very serious criminal conduct. This is what we call a speaking indictment. There's, there's sort of two kinds of indictments in DOJ. 
There's the um, the, the just the, the sort of statutory elements indictment where you literally just say honor about whatever date, name of defendants, and then you just recite the elements of the crime, and that's that. And we used to do that sometimes. Then there's the speaking indictment, which is this, which is which goes into a whole bunch of narrative detail. The details here are clear. The evidence obviously is overwhelming. These people plotted to storm the Capitol. And the most important point about it is this document makes crystal clear that the reason they did it, no ambiguity about it, the big lie, this false belief that Donald Trump had been cheated out of the election. And by the way, DOJ's role in documenting that fact becomes more and more important as the uncertainty about a January 6th commission grows. And where will that responsibility ultimately fall? We don't know, but documents like this become even more important. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. And I see two critiques. One, there should be sedition charges in here. This, The facts as alleged in this indictment absolutely support a sedition charge. Sedition can mean any of these three things, and all of them apply if you look at the face of the indictment. One, trying to overthrow the U.S. government. That's the most dramatic. Two, trying to interfere with a governmental function, the counting of the electoral ballots. And then three is just forcibly overtaking any government building without authorization, any federal government building. All three of those apply, yet there's no sedition charges, and we can sort of talk about why that may be. The second big critique I have is, when are they going to get to the real power players here? These are bad guys. These are oath keepers who committed crimes. But Merrick Garland vowed at his confirmation hearing, we'll start with the people on the ground, we'll work our way up from there, and we'll follow all leads. So far, I've not seen that. I've not seen the behind-the-scenes organizers. I've not seen any indication that there's serious investigation of Donald Trump and other insiders. So I think DOJ is doing an okay job, but not a great job. And I think they're leaving a lot to be desired. Yeah, you and I are exactly on the same page. My my main concerns here are, let's say he is investigating, you know, the big fish mm-hmm. and is not coming out and saying so. Because, you know, as we know, we've had a lot of judges slam a lot of people for coming out and talking about yeah. what's going on for Sherwin, for example. Yep and his 60 Minutes interview, and then some defendants, too, who have gone on TV and, and have, have taken hits for that. And, and you know, Ellie, you know, you and I, yeah. if Merrick Garland got up and started talking about an open and ongoing investigation and crimes he was looking into, we'd be like, why is he telling everyone? You, you, <laughs> raise, you raise a great point. You're absolutely right. Well, let me be clear. I do not want and I do not believe Merrick Garland or any other DOJ official should make any public statement or leak anything about this. However, The quality of reporting in this country and in Washington, D.C. around Mm -hmm. DOJ is high enough that I believe we would have found out if there was a serious investigation, either from a leak, perhaps, but even if not from a leak, from a witness, right? That's how we find out a lot of times. There's nothing wrong with that. If a witness receives a subpoena, if a witness receives a phone call, a witness's lawyer receives a phone call, a target's lawyer receives a phone call, they're actually, barring a special order from a judge, which are granted sometimes, but not often, they're free to talk about it. And that's how we in the public find out about a lot of these investigations. Somebody will go, oh, my client received a subpoena. And then we sort of put two and two together and go, that must relate to this. Mm. But there's been not a single shred of reporting of anything to indicate. It is possible. It's possible they're looking at it in a serious way. But I've not seen anything to indicate that they are. And then the sedition mm. thing, you know, I'm, I'm curious why you think, I have a theory why Merrick Garland hasn't charged sedition here. And, and, and um, do, you wanna, do you have any idea? Do you have a theory? Because I have a, an educated theory. Uh, it, the, the best I can think is that there's been lots of times, and I've talked to former prosecutors about this. I've, I know you and I have talked about mm-hmm. this in the past, some of the Mueller investigation stuff. For example, Manafort committed conspiracy to defraud the United States when he gave polling data to Kalimnik. That's mm-hmm. in Weissman's book. Weissman has yep. told me with his mouth that they had enough to charge him with that. Mm-hmm. However, they the open and shut nature, the black and white, super hard, easy to easy road to hoe nature of the other 18 criminal counts that he was guilty of yeah. were just made more sense as a steward of the taxpayer dollar to go after those crimes. And that's maybe what I'm seeing here. Either that I mean, sedition charges haven't been brought in this country in a really, it's rare, right. you know, right. and, and I've, I'm afraid that they're afraid that they'll fail on the sedition charge. That's where my thought is, at least. So I, 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 I agree mostly with that. I'm actually really interested to hear what Andrew said about 
the Manafort case, but I think that's different. And I'll explain why in a second. I, I agree. I, my view is Merrick Garland is a very conservative, and I, I mean lowercase c. I don't mean ideologically. I just mean not wanting to rock the boat, a conservative attorney general. And he's not going to take sort of precipitous or noteworthy actions. And I think that's a part of the reason he appealed the Barr-Muller ruling last week, um, because traditionally, DOJ would stick by its guns and try to sort of preserve its own internal processes. I criticized him. I wrote a piece for CNN saying that was a mistake by Garland. He had an opportunity to make a clean break. I think Garland is looking at this indictment going, he's essentially charged all the components of sedition, including he charged one of the charges. I think it's count one is conspiracy to interfere with a governmental function. I mean, that is almost the exact definition of sedition. I think he made a decision here. I have enough different ways to charge this and a sedition charge doesn't add anything different. And why wade into those politically fraught waters of sedition? I disagree. I think it's a mistake by him. I think if the, if the sedition fits, uh, then you charge it. Mm. But, but, you know, I think the Manafort situation is different because they, while they did have a boatload of charges on Manafort, they didn't charge Manafort with anything relating to the campaign or conspiracy or coordination with Russia, Kalimnik. they charged Manafort with a whole bunch of tax fraud and Farah stuff that he had done, but but all of it, and one of the rallying cries of people on Man aligned with Manafort, where none of this has anything to do with Russia or 2016 election. So if they had a charge that goes to the heart of what we would really call collusion, and they didn't bring it because they felt like they had good enough bank fraud charges, that's hard for me to understand that logic. Yeah. And uh, well, you know, the statute of limitations on, you know, as long as people keep criming uh, doesn't toll for a while on that. But I want to talk a little bit about the, the what you were discussing and the the appetite of yeah. Merrick Garland to hold the former administration uh, accountable. But I have to take a quick break. Do you mind? Yes, you stay with me. Of course. All right. Everybody will be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Allison from The Beans. And this portion of the show is brought to you by Credit Karma. If you're looking to improve your finances in 2021 and I am then I highly recommend checking out Credit Karma. Credit Karma has always been there to help make sure that you're making better financial decisions. And now they want to help even more. They have Credit Karma money spend accounts and you can be rewarded for good money habits. When you use your Credit Karma money debit card, you can win instant karma. Daily, you can win instant karma. And that's purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. You just pay with your debit card. And if you win, you will be notified on the spot and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instant Karma to over 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. So open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a huge network of over 50,000 ATMs. Credit Karma Money, progress starts here. Go to creditkarma.com slash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning Instant Karma. That's Credit Karma with a K, Credit Karma with a K. Go to creditkarma.com slash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning instant karma today. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Right now, visit creditkarma.com slash winmoney to open your free account. You can start winning that instant karma reimbursements. It's so awesome. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank, Inc. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking to the host of the Third Degree Podcast, Ellie Honig. Ellie, um... Speaking of the the appetite, the <laughs> this to me very disappointing showing so far from this Department of Justice because you know you've talked about this. Joyce Vance has talked about this for years now that accountability is the first step in restoring faith in the Justice Department. Yeah, and this sort of middle of the road, small C conservative, like you said, I don't think is. I personally don't think is the right direction to go to. This is a very serious, serious time for the institution of the Department of Justice right now. Yeah. And the lack of faith, the drained reservoir of trust, as it were. And I think that bolder moves are required to make that clean break that you're talking about. So I'm kind of I'm kind of a little bit let down right now. And I hope things change because we've got the McGann testimony coming. Yep. We've got old charges now that I'm pretty sure capital C conservative Mueller wanted to see prosecuted. Right. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, come on, I, I, I'm, I'm really with you. I've been I've been fairly critical of Merrick Garland. I think he's eminently qualified to be attorney general. I had high hopes for him. 
And I'm not saying he's done it anywhere near as bad a job as Bill Barr has done. As, as you know, that's the subject of my forthcoming book. <laughs> and we'll talk about that in a second. But another one I think is McGann. I think you raise a good point. I, I've Every indication I have seen is that Merrick Garland wants no part of, and again, I'm, I'm not, I don't have inside reporting. I'm just talking about public indication. Merrick Garland wants no part of potentially charging Donald Trump with obstruction of justice. He's won't talk about it, no indication of it. And it seems, look, it's, is, it, is it difficult and messy to do that? You bet. But is, is the job of the prosecutor to seek the path of least resistance? No, it is yeah. not. And Merrick Garland really inherits DOJ at a unique time in its history because whatever one may think of past AGs, and I write about this in my book, you know, I served under Gonzale, Ashcroft, Gonzalez, and Mukasey on the Republican side and then Holder on the Democrat side, four years Republican, four years Democrat. And there was a lot of, there was consistency. There were policy priority differences. The Bush administration prioritized different types of cases and initiatives than the Obama administration. That's fine. But at no point was there this moment of crisis where you felt like, and, and this goes back way beyond this too, um, where you felt like, wow, DOJ's fundamental credibility and independence have just been damaged. And Bill Barr, and again, this is the sort of central thesis of my book, Hatchet Man, uh, available July 6th, but pre-order now. But the fundamental thesis of my book is what the damage Bill Barr did over the last two years to DOJ's credibility and independence is absolutely unprecedented. So Merrick Garland takes over. DOJ is in this ditch. And he really has two options, I think. The, the, the easier road is the one he's taking, which is let's just get back to that steady, you know, <laughs> that, that, that sort of, you know, calm, con lowercase c, conservative uh, approach. And, and option B is I need to be more aggressive here. I need to take more affirmative steps to draw a line to say we do not do business that way, to divorce myself from the abuses of Bill Barr and to affirmatively correct those abuses. And thus far, he has decidedly had a, a, an appetite for non-destruction, if we met, if I might. Um, sorry, I'm on a Guns N' Roses kick. Um, <laughs> but well, that's the, bill, that's the bill of goods he sold us. He did. I felt, I was very excited about this. I was like, oh, seems like a pretty well, moderate guy, but well, I mean, sounds like he's really into, you know, nobody is above the law. Yeah. The law needs to be applied equally. You know, all of that, all of that stuff that he was talking about. But in, in this particular, in this defense against releasing section two of the Bill Barr memo yeah. saying, you know, hey, the, that old DOJ, that's, you know, yep. hatchet man, yep. <laughs> that guy, what he meant was right. uh, this and this. And when you look at it that way, yeah. then we need to keep this behind closed doors because we need to protect the deliberative process privilege. Right. So it, once again, not only fixing, I mean, not just not releasing it, but fixing what the, what the previous yeah. administration said in my mind. And I was like, that is just, first of all, I know Merrick Garland didn't write that response. Right, right. But it just, yeah. I, I was like, well, I couldn't even understand the argument, Ellie. I know. I, I, was, I was having a hard time with it as well. I mean, look, what I did understand was Judge Amy Berman Jackson's opinion. Yes. <laughs> I mean, she says, not only did Bill Barr, well, her, her phrase was disingenuous. That's a polite way of saying why. I, I call him a liar in my book. I mean, the guy lied more times than I can count. But not only was Bill Barr disingenuous about how he characterized the Mueller report, no headline. I mean, it's important anytime a federal judge notes that, but she's far from the first. We've had other federal judges and <laughs> yeah. Robert Mueller himself told us that. But then this whole thing where they also, DOJ also fudged what this whole memo was to try to basically make it look like Bill Barr actually had a meaningful deliberative process about, well, hmm, shall I charge Donald Trump or not? When uh, we all know it was, it was in the bag from day one. And Judge Jackson says that. She says there was never any meaningful question about whether Donald Trump would be, I'm paraphrasing, about whether Donald Trump would be charged with obstruction. It was never meaningfully in play. And this is all essentially just a backdated ruse to make it look like that. And yeah. for, for Merrick Garland to miss the opportunity to say, I'm putting it all out there. I'll let the people judge and to come up with this, oh, we didn't really express ourselves. DOJ didn't really express ourselves as, as cleanly as we could. Um, look, I, I don't know if, if I, Merrick Garland sold the bill of goods you know, he was appropriate. You know, he did all the usual. We're going to restore rule of law and restore stability and all that. But again, he has taken the gentle path. And I don't think the gentle path is going to get it done here. I think I think 
And you're starting to see this more, AJ. I mean, people who hated what happened in the last DOJ started off rejoicing at the selection of Merrick Garland and, and applauding the things he said mm-hmm. in his confirmation. And now you're seeing more and more people. And I've been, I, I'm not afraid to call, I don't, let's, listen, I'll call out Merrick Garland. I don't care what party's next to anyone's name. If, if, if I don't think you're doing the job, mm-hmm. I'll say it. Yeah. And I don't think he's been terrible. I think he's done some things that are good, but I think he's really failing to be aggressive enough and affirmative enough in correcting the abuses of Bill Barr and setting DOJ back on the right course. Yeah, yeah. These and I joked multiple times over you know the course of a year about Bill Barr's post hoc OLC memos, right? Right. Like, yeah, is that legal? I don't worry about it. Bill Barr just have an OLC memo whipped up, and we'll be good to go. Yeah, joking, joking about it. That's yeah. how cavalier it seemed. But you know, you do. You know, here's the thing: if he re- if he releases the second half yep. of that memo, he will have to prosecute Trump for obstruction of justice, and not only that. But he might have to prosecute Bill Barr, too. And that's just what I think he just doesn't seem like he has the appetite for. And he knows that. Well, here's the thing, though, with this. I'm sure I'm sure what the memo is, given the description of this memo in Judge Amy Berman Jackson's opinion, it looks like it's just sort of, you know, fluffy cover. It's just a bunch of citations saying, oh, the president, here's why he didn't commit obstruction and blah, blah, blah. So I don't know that the memo itself is going to be that explosive. People like you and I will look at it and dissect it. And I'm sure be able to make a compelling argument why it's wrong on the law. But I don't think the memo itself will be anything other than just sort of shoddy cover, like the OLC memos that you talk about. I mean, OLC, boy, I mean, I, I assume your listeners know the Office of Legal Counsel, but OLC is supposed to be sort of the geniuses, the in-house DOJ geniuses that advise the executive branch on the thorniest issues of law. And OLC has sort of you know, had a history of moments of infamy, probably most infamously the torture memos, but they really went off the rails under Barr, issuing absurd decisions left and right, which were shattered. The courts just destroyed these decisions. The best one was what the uh, absolute immunity opinion that Judge uh, Ketanji uh, <laughs> Brown Jackson, who I think is destined for the Supreme Court someday, said it was a fiction that gets separation of powers exactly backwards. And she was exactly right. Um, OLC needs to be fixed in a big way. One of the reforms I suggest in my book is a OLC needs to be just be be set free to to give the real legal advice, not to just cover stuff up or, or justify things. I should say after the fact. And B, once an OLC opinion has been rejected by the federal courts, it needs to go. Like let's you know yeah. I mean, that should be yeah. a no brainer. But uh, you know there was enough that Barb churned out that were just trashed by the courts that all need to be, you know, retired. Yeah. The one that's saying it was okay to withhold already appropriated congressional aid to foreign countries. Or the Ukraine one saying uh, the whistleblower thing doesn't apply if it's the president having the whistleblower. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, something else, and I talked to Marcy Wheeler about this that's behind those redaction bars in that second section of the bar memo Mm -hmm. is the the obstruction of justice parts that had to do with dangling of pardons. Right. For Flynn and Manafort, Cohen. Those would have to be explained away after Barr had testified to Congress that any kind of pardon like that would be a crime. He did. So, yes. And this is the Eric Swalwell uh, cross-examination of Barr that I I talk about in my book. And he really backed Barr into a corner. And then he ultimately, Swalwell asked Barr, are you invest? Hence, are you investigating Roger Stone, right? And and Barr's response. Do you remember his response? It's a three word response that to me perfectly characterizes Bill Barr's term. Do you remember? No, it is. I'm putting it on the spot. Why should I? Oh. <laughs> I like, Why? <laughs> should, I said, if any three yeah. words perfectly capture Bill Barr's term as Attorney General. Why should I? I mean, yeah, um, it was like when Blumenthal asked him for his notes of the call to Mueller, yeah, and he's like. I mean, why would I give that to you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a dick. <laughs> uh, anyway, everybody, you have to pre-order Hatchet Man. Uh, do that now. It comes out July 6th. Yes. Is that right, Ellie? Yes, it does. Uh, but you can pre-order it now. And I, I highly suggest it's going to be hard to get your hands on it. So pre-order <laughs> it now. And host of the Third Degree Podcast, which, is, which I love. So everybody check that out. I appreciate your time today. Ellie Honig. Thanks, Allison. Talk to you soon. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back for the good news. Hey, everybody, it's Allison. This portion of The Beans is brought to you by Upstart. If you dread looking at your credit card statements like I do every month, join the club. We all stress out about dealing with finances, especially when you're paying those minimum payments. And because of the percentage rate, you're not making any dents in it because of the high interest. Good news is Upstart can lift that weight off your shoulders so you can finally feel the relief of being free of credit card debt. 
It's a fast and easy way using Upstart to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. Whether you're paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get simple, fixed monthly payment loans. Unlike other lenders, Upstart looks at more than just your credit score. You're not just a number to them. They look at your income, your employment history, stuff like that. That means they can offer you smarter interest rates with trusted partners. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. You can receive funds as fast as one business day after your loan is accepted. After this past year, I know a lot of people were living off credit cards and stuff. A lot of gig workers, friends of mine, have found themselves in kind of in a hole or having to, you know, they have these credit card debts. And I, so I, re- I recommend to everyone, please check out how much money you can save and how fast you can get out of debt by going to Upstart. Find out how low your rate and payment can be by going to upstart.com slash dailybeans. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. And don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. That's go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. And today's show is also brought to you by my favorite puzzle game, Best Fiends. First of all, this game is so awesome. It's kind of addictive. I love playing it and it's beautiful and relaxing, but it keeps my brain engaged. When you need a break from contemplating the big questions in life, take on a puzzle that's meant to be solved, like the thousands of puzzle solving levels on Best Fiends. Unlike mulling over the mysteries of the universe, Best Fiends leaves your brain feeling refreshed, right? The best thing is it doesn't require the internet, so I can play it anywhere and anytime. I don't have to worry about Wi-Fi access or using cell data. I've been playing for over a year now. I still get that little rush of adrenaline when I beat a level, when I beat all the jerky slugs uh, with my little characters that I've developed and leveled up. It's a very str- it's like there's a lot of strategery. I absolutely love it. The increasingly challenging puzzles and beautiful visual design make it just like a respite. It has tons of fun puzzles. Best Fiends has tons of fun puzzles to solve. And unlike other puzzle matching games, it's just the same repetitive thing over and over again, like smashing fruits or whatever. Best Fiends has variety and strategy. The only downside, sometimes I can't stop playing. I'm already on level like two, what, 2180, I think. But there's thousands of levels still waiting. With Best Fiends, there's something new to play every day. I love the new updates. They keep it fresh. I like to explore new levels, catch new fiends, leveling up these cute collectible characters. What's not to love? I like how challenges get harder as you destroy the evil slugs. There's multiple ways to earn in-game currency. So if you're hungry for near-endless supply of fun puzzles, the kind you can actually enjoy solving, Try Best Fiends. Just don't blame me if you can't turn it off. Download the five-star rated puzzle game Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news is on the way. Hello, Dana. It's time oh, for the Oh, it's news. good to be. I like... I like being the 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 bread to this podcast, like the, you know what I mean. The ends this podcast, beginning and end. Mm, it is nice, and then the middle's all just just delicious and informative. Yeah, the interview sandwich. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Okay. I don't know. I'm so chill today. I think it was the relaxing weekend. That I had. I'm just like, <laughs> what's up, everybody? Everything's rad. Here we go with the good news. Anyway, I'm going to kick us off with the first thing from anonymous here. Just an anonymous submission. I have a misheard lyric, courtesy of my niece. The Stevie Wonder classic, Signed, Sealed, Delivered, Onions. Signed, Sealed, Delivered, Onions. Yeah, I love it. I mean, that's not what it says? Okay, good to know. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to pick up the next one here, too. It's another short one. From anonymous pronouns he and him, my partner sings songs so confidently without knowing the lyrics. It's impressive, really. So when she was singing Bootylicious the other day, I was completely incredulous. How could the line really be, I don't think you're ready for this jelly? I figured she was just inserting words. Well, turns out that's right. And the lyric isn't, I don't think you're ready for destiny. <laughs> Not this jelly. <laughs> I don't think you're ready for this jelly. I don't think you're ready for this jelly. All right. Oh, I do enjoy those. Okay. This is from Lizzie Pronoun She and Her. I have some good news and also a pronounce the town. Okay. See what you did? This is going to be tough. Here we go, AG. So now that we're vaccinated, <laughs> now that we, I hate you. Now that we feel, now that we're vaccinated, we feel safe hiring a babysitter to handle our kids, 20 months old and five months old. So I can get anything else done for two days a week. 
So we got a woman and it was her first day this week. And a couple of hours into the day, my son had gotten used to her and brought his favorite books for her to read to him. One of which is called Love Makes a Family. Hmm. I already love this family. It's a really great book. The illustrations are wonderful and it depicts all kinds of different families, including BIPOC and LGBTQ families bonding and dealing with everyday life. When I came back in the room, my babysitter told me she was so relieved to see the book and felt safe to tell us she's married to a woman and the energy in the air suddenly dissipated. Uh, We had a conversation about how it was kind of culture shock for both of us to move to this smaller town from a bigger one, more liberal places, from bigger, more liberal places. So the bigger place I'm from is Santa Cruz, California. It's beautiful. You can always tell a tourist by the way they pronounce two of the place's names. Aptos and Soquel, and I know those aren't right. That's what I would call them, Aptos and Soquel, but it looks like it's Aptos. Aptos and, and Soquel. Soquel. Okay. Like kelp. Soquel <laughs> without the P. Yeah, that's fantastic, ladies. Yeah, Thanks, I would have said Aptos ladies. and Soquel. I would have been a very Santa Cruz tourist. Yeah. I'm sure. Aptos. Aptos. No, that wasn't too bad. You have to take the next two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have to take the. Oh, I see what you're. Look, uh-huh. there's a short one, AG, and then a long one from Paul. Mm, good strategy. I'll join okay. you in it. I'll join you in it. From anonymous pronouns, he and him. I failed a CAPTCHA on a website last week. I was afraid that maybe I was turning into a robot. <laughs> Thankfully, I listened to an episode of The Beans and was able to feel some anger and hope. And I even cried for some of the good news. Thanks for the daily humanity calibration. I failed a CAPTCHA. That's hilarious. And they're like, <laughs> w- click on everything that's got a light post. Yeah. Click on the boats. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I can't even tell what that fucking third thing is. Like, how am I supposed to? Mm. Anyway, next up from Paul, pronouns he and him. New to the podcast, subscribed after overhearing my wonderful wife listening to it. I want to start by saying thank you for passing on the news that I very likely would have missed with my algorithm picked news apps. The positivity mixed with your relatable attitudes helps very much as well. Oh, thanks, Paul. Now for the main event of this message, my submission of town names from Washington state that the locals who were born or grew up here like to hear the tourists try to pronounce. Pronunciation key below. No peeking. Sekiu. Sekiu, I would say, and I would be wrong. Payalup. Sounds like polyp. I don't like that yeah. town. <laughs> Sequim. I'm going with sequim. It's probably sequim. <laughs> probably. Lummy. <laughs> or loomy. I think lummy. We'll go with lummy. Lummy. Then there's, oh, what the fuck? An, 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 enumclaw? Enumclaw. All right. Uh, Paul's bow or Powell's bow. Spokane. I know Spokane. Did people just take letters in the alphabet and throw them into a bag and was like, there's another city in Washington. Spokane. At least we know Spokane. Spokane. Yes. Stylacum. All you. <laughs> Tulalip. Tulalip. It sounds like a condition. Queens. Queens Island. Gwemmies. Yeah. Gumes. I don't know. All right. CQ. <gasps> I was right. Pualup. Oh, Pualup. Puyallup. Okay. <laughs> I was like, pile up. Squim. You got Squim. that one. Squim. Oh, oh, close, right? Sequim. Yeah. Sequim. I said sequim. Squim. Lummy. Okay. I, I think I said that. Enumclaw. Okay. I think we were close. I think we both said that and thought it was definitely wrong. <laughs> Paul's Bow, I got, because it reminded mm-hmm. me of Paul's Boutique. Uh, Spokane, I know. Uh, Stillicum. <laughs> really? Okay, we're not touching that. Tulalip. Mm-hmm. Tulalip. All right. And Guimus. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like, a, again, another Guimus. condition. You know, uh, can't, yeah. can't go out tonight. I got a little Guimus in my Tulalip and I need to stay at home. My stomach's a little Guimus. <laughs> uh, he goes on to say there may be more, but I figured this would be a fun list to start with. We also have some fun sounding towns places such as Hump Tulips which I'm going to say is Humptalups, and the ever-famous George Washington. I hope this list makes the cut. Keep up the good work. It did make the cut. Well done. Very nice. Oh, boy. Here we go. Betsy, (laughs) thanks a lot for the game, Angie. (laughs) Betsy, pronouns she and her. Hey, Beans Queens, been listening forever. Love y'all. Number one, I think a co-host on the MSW pod would be awesome. (laughs) I volunteer. We're listening without our Mueller report open to the right page, and sometimes the info flies by too quickly. Number two, here's my pronunciation game. All our street names from Austin, Texas. We have Manchaca, Koenig, Balcones, 
Muller Boulevard, and the suburb de Valle. Scroll, scroll, scroll. We have Man, Sh- Man Shack is the first Man one. Shack. Not even close. Mm. Koenig. Koenig, I know because of Walter Koenig, right? That's how I would have pronounced oh, it. Oh, that makes sense. Balconies. There you Balconies. go. Balconies. <laughs> um, Mueller. Mueller Boulevard. Which I nice. tried to say on the first episode and AG went, nope, nope, nope. Edit, edit. Because <laughs> <laughs> and... our very first like three episodes, I was <laughs> called <laughs> Mueller. And I know it's Mueller, which is so funny. Uh, Del Valley. Del Valley. Del Valley. So they're Del... not even going with the Valle. They're no. just... Valley. Okay. How did you do? Not great. All right. No, not great, no, Betsy. Not good. Um, th- and you know that because you're listening. This is my son with his Pomeranian, Ozzy. Ozzy is no longer with us. And my son is about double the age he was when I took this pic. Oh, I oh, bet he's so baby. handsome. I bet he's a handsome man now because he's an adorable boy. That is a cute puppers. Thank you for that submission, Betsy. Next up from James, pronouns he and him. I have a couple things for you today. First off, an update on Cobalt the mini Ozzy. Yay! She's almost completely recovered from her old dog vestibular syndrome and nearly back to her old self. We took her out of her, uh, to her favorite beach this weekend. Pictures below. It's great to see, have, have her dancing around the house again. Oh, that's so wonderful. What's good? That's such good news. Uh, and here's a share of the swear of sorts. There's a comedy music group in Newfoundland named Buddy, what's his name, and the other fellers. That's funny. <laughs> they do traditional songs, comic songs, and stand-up. One of their songs, the swearing song, from the album Nods and Winks, should strike chords with any Catholics. Here's the first verse. Father fished six days a week. He went to church on Sunday. He confessed his sins, and then he'd begin to sin again on Monday. But don't get me wrong. He never sinned, indeed no worse, but sin in word. But you should have heard the way the man could curse. He went, Lord, lifting, leap, lion, deer, raven, and dancing, dying, suffering, thundering, working, wondering, robbing, gobbing, hairy, hell's fire, fiery, flaming, screeching, screaming, naming, blaming, son of a no good, merciful mutter of jumping Joseph Murphy. <laughs> okay. I'm not even right. mad anymore. There you go. I know. Share oh, the cobalt is so beautiful. I'm so happy <gasps> this dog is doing well. Look at that last photo. Oh. Gorgeous, gorgeous baby. What a beautiful pup. Oh. Thank you for the Cobalt update, James. Seriously, I love getting them, and I'm glad Cobalt's back to uh, back to her old self. Me That's so too. wonderful. All right, well, this we have a fun new game now. Pronounce the towns. Oh, uh, if you're going to send them in, try uh, try not to repeat towns that you've already heard us fuck up on the show. Um, we'd like to fuck up all new towns, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, wherever you send that from, you can do it by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. We also take confessions, misheard song lyrics. We like to play what the mutt, all kinds of great stuff, and, and we look forward to hearing from you. Do you have anything you want to say before we get out of here, Dana? No, just uh, I can't believe we're in June. It actually feels like time is passing. Like last year, March lasted for 12 months and we're actually in June now. We, we're hitting June. Yeah. April and May just disappeared. Unbelievable. They just disappeared. And those are some of my favorite months, too, for at least the weather. We'll get them back in 12. We'll get them back in a year. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't worry, Alice. The years will keep flying by even faster yeah. as you plummet towards death. Absolutely. I'll be there with you. <laughs> And on that positive note, (laughs) until tomorrow, everybody, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill. And I've been Dana Goldberg. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for the Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.